All right, our special guest right now, Wayne Campbell, Garth Elgar, Wayne's World, Wayne's World. All right, talking about Wayne Stock, very exciting, big event. Everybody's excited, huh? Uh, yeah, it's going to be a, a big concert at Adelaide Stevenson Park. Uh huh. It's just going to be a big party, you know. We got uh -huh. some great bands coming. Uh huh. Like Aerosmith. Uh huh. I just want to remind everybody that there's still plenty of tickets left. Uh huh. But that's no reason to wait till the last minute. Uh huh. Because it's just a a chance for the city of Aurora. Mm hmm. To do something. Uh-huh. Fun. Uh-huh. And to put the city on the map. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of work. Oh, well, <laughs> work is hard. <laughs> you're not really listening to me, are you? Uh-huh. I mean, I could say anything right now, like, you're a complete tool. Mm-hmm. But you wouldn't hear it. Good morning, Hope Ames. Uh, I'm not even going to ask, are you listening? Because I really believe that you are. Uh, listening is an important thing. It is a really important thing that we do. Um, at every single level of education that I've had, I'm pretty sure in high school, in college, and then also in seminary, at some point there was a lesson on active listening. And it feels really good to be heard, and it is really important for us to practice listening because it is a gift that we can give to someone. Now, one of the methods that came along with active listening when I would learn from teachers or professors about what does it mean to really listen to someone, is they would say that, you nod your head, you show them that you're listening, and you respond in a way that you're listening. They would oftentimes give us a few ways that we could respond. Sometimes there was a, mm-hmm, kind of like you saw in that clip. But oftentimes that starts to get old, so you instead move to a, oh. My favorite one, though, was the, wow. I don't know why, but for me, when it comes to active listening, that was always my favorite. Now, like I said, it is really, really nice to feel like you are heard. So I want to practice that before we get started today. Would you, for the next 30 seconds, turn to somebody next to you, and then someone's just going to simply tell you, what's one thing that you're looking forward to this week? And then I'll have you switch, and the other person will say, what's one thing that they're looking forward to this week? Now, if you are sitting by yourself today, don't worry. I'm up here by myself, too. My wife is sitting there by herself in the front row. If you are with people, put it on yourself to reach out to that person and make sure that they have someone to listen to them. All right, go for it. What is something that you're looking forward to this week? Go for it. You got about 15 seconds each. Go! If you haven't switched, go ahead and switch. All right, let's go ahead and bring it back in. It feels good to be heard. It feels good to be listened to. It truly is a gift. And as the church, listening is a gift that we can give to people. This has a lot to do with our series that we're going through right now. It is called American Spirituality, Concerning Trends and Reasons for Hope. As Christians, we always have this hope. If you listen to anything that I say today, I hope that you listen to this. It's not from me. This is from the Word of God. Jesus said this himself in John 3, 16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is the hope of the world. Now, there is something that is very, very cool. Jesus calls us his body. We are the body of Christ, acting, doing God's work in this world, letting God do his work through us. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. 
So if we're to sum up, what's the job of the church? The body of Christ, also known as the church, is intended to live as the hope of the world. That does not mean that you as an individual are the hope of the world. Don't get a big head about that. But what it means is to say is that we are, show, we are to show the world that there is an untouchable hope. And we get to do that by showing the world Jesus. Jesus is an incredibly attractive figure. Just go ahead and look at the people who showed up and hung around him. It was the most unsuspecting individuals. But here's a question that I have to ask. Do people really want to hang out with Christians these days? We have this great reason for hope, and yet we see these concerning trends. And what's the reason for it? Here are a few of the concerning trends that I'm seeing these days. About 30% of the United States are religiously unaffiliated. Our own denomination is a part of this. Uh, the ELCA projection is that by 2041, there will only be 16,000 attendees per week. The joke around the ELCA about that is, well, that's Lutheran Church of Hope. So anyway, that's not, that's not like a good thing. You know what I mean? That, that's a problem. Also, one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever seen in my entire life is the scandals that are showing up in the church across denominations. And there is not one denomination that is immune to it. We've seen it in megachurches like Hillsong. We've seen it in denominations like the Southern Baptist Con Convention. And those are the ones that are kind of getting the big headlines right now. But you should know, there is no denomination that is immune to this. We are a broken group of people, a part of a broken world. And we must rely on hope, the hope of the world. We must rely on Jesus to redeem us and to reconcile us so that we can truly live as the hope shining into this world that oftentimes feels so dark for people. I want you to know this too. Those are concerning trends. And yet, take a look at these reasons for hope that we still see in the world today. Despite the brokenness of the church, God is still knocking on the door of people's hearts. When people say that only 30% or that 30% of the United States is religiously unaffiliated, what they found recently is that a lot of those studies are actually very misguiding because 26 to 40% of US congregations are unaccounted for. That means 26 to 40% of people who are attending church are unaccounted for. Atheism has stayed steady over the last 80 years. Only about 3% of the United States claim that they are atheists. I'm not saying that like, ha ha, they're so small. What I'm saying is people tend to think that there's something bigger out there. They tend to keep their, their minds and their hearts open to the potential for hope. And of the atheists, 75% believe that there is life and after death. There is hope. There is at least a desire that something else might be out there. I also thought this was interesting. 84% of U.S. adults pray weekly. And do you know something that's very fascinating? Younger generations pray more than any generation. I think that that's pretty interesting. So these are the things that are happening in our world. I don't want to just peg this question at you. I want to peg this question at all of us. Are we listening? Are we going to listen? Are we going to observe and actively respond like we really did listen, like we really did hear to the trends, to the concerns, and to the hopes that are in this world. If we listen, I really believe that we can be a part of delivering the hope of the world to the people around us. That's what the church, the body of Christ, is called to do. If we're going to do that, we need to get back to our foundations. We need to get back to the basics. The foundational law that God gave his people. The foundational guideline that God gave people to live by. It's in the reading today. It's Deuteronomy chapter 6. In Jewish traditions, this is known as the Shema. We're going to get to that word in just a little bit. But the reading started with this. Listen, O Israel. Listen. 
Are you listening? The Lord is our God and the Lord alone. And you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Are you listening, people of God? Many, many years later, Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing that God ever said? Specifically, they said, what's the most important law that God has? And what they're asking is, what's the most important thing that God has said for God's people to live by? And Jesus quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6. Jesus said, this is the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. If you know Matthew chapter 22, you would also know that Jesus follows that up by saying, there's a second and equal commandment. It is love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, people of God. We are to love God with our entire beings. And the way that we love God is by loving God's people. Listen to this. This is the word for listen in the Hebrew scriptures. I said it already, but it's Shema. Go ahead and say Shema. Shema. Say it with some mm, Shema. Shema. Shema is literally that word. It says in the, in the original Hebrew, Shema, O Israel. Shema, Israel. Listen, Israel. Listen. But there's something special about the word listen, isn't it? Listen means to really absorb something. It says this in the book of Psalms, where it's kind of establishing a difference between like listening and hearing and how like yet like listening takes effort. It says they have ears but cannot hear. Talking about God's people and how oftentimes we hear what God says, but really those are just reverberations off of the sound, the, the, our eardrums, and they just go off like we never actually absorbed it, like we never actually soaked it in. Ears, but we cannot hear. Can anybody relate to this? Like, I think it's pretty relatable. There are countless times throughout the week, and I'm ashamed to say this, that my wife has to say, are you listening to me? And the truth is, I heard what she said, but maybe I didn't listen. One of the most frequent examples of this has to come up, or has to do with our laundry situation. I'm like overly protective about my laundry um, because my laundry smells really bad. I like to run and I sweat a lot and I don't want her to have to deal with that. So in my mind, I have to be the one who does it. The problem is I oftentimes do my laundry wrong. It's very easy to do your laundry correctly. First off, they've got the tag that tells you what you know, material it is, what to wash it with, how to dry it. Now, if you can't remember those things, you also just have to simply go with, wash it by your lights, your colors, and your darks, right? My wife always tells me this. My mom told me this growing up. I just have this issue. I'm in a hurry when I'm doing my laundry, and so I oftentimes will throw everything in together. And now, because of that, here's what a white shirt is supposed to look like, right? Nice and easy, good. Here's what all of my white shirts look like. Do you see the difference? I put this on one day and my wife said, you don't listen to me. And I'm not allowed to wear this shirt in public anymore. I love you. And I'm not complaining. <laughs> like, I can hear her directions, but I'm not listening to her directions. It says this in the book of Exodus. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure. If you obey... To listen seems like it would be to obey, but it's actually really true. The same word that's used there for obey is shema. Go ahead and say it again, shema. It's to listen and to obey. Now, that seems a little bit controlling. Oh, my goodness, to listen means I have to do everything that you say. 
Well, the good thing is that we worship and we listen to and we obey a good and honest and loving God. There's a third uh, definition for Shema, and it's to proclaim. Go ahead and say Shema again. It's to proclaim. Now, that's interesting. Claiming and listening seem like they're absolute opposites. But to proclaim something is to emphasize the importance of something, to proclaim it. What is so important, what is so emphasized about listening to God? Well, I think that it also shows up in Scripture when we see the theme of Shema throughout, especially the Old Testament. It says this in the book of Psalms. Hear me as I pray, O Lord. Be merciful and answer me. The author of the Psalms is praying and talking to God and says, Hey God, Shema. Saying, Hey God, listen to me. Hey God, obey me. Hey God, proclaim what I am saying to you. Emphasize it. Let it be important to you. And maybe you read that and you're wondering, will God actually do it? The infinite, almighty, perfect, omniscient God. Would he actually listen to imperfect people? And the incredible thing is, it's yes. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 12, we're going to go into this reading in a couple of weeks, so I don't want to spoil too much, but it comes after one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Again, we'll go into that in a couple of weeks. But God says to God's people, in those days when you pray, I will listen. I will listen to you. I'll listen to you. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 12. If you ever want to know, how much does God love me? It's not necessarily the verse that's before it. And even though that's a really great verse, it is this God actually listens to me. The fullness of that word Shema. God would listen. God would obey. And that is the strangest thing to think. That the, that the, omnip that the omniscient, almighty, infinite God would actually obey the cries of people. It doesn't mean that God would bless sin, but it means that he hears you and he actually really listens to you. Go ahead and skip me forward two slides because I accidentally put that slide in twice. Thank you so much. It says this in the book of John. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they know me. We listen to God, not because we're forced to do it. We listen to God in the way that a sheep would listen to its shepherd. We listen to God in a way that a sheep would listen to the shepherd that it depends on for absolutely everything in life. Oftentimes we think that in order to listen to God, we've got to force ourselves to do more things. We've just got to follow more rules. We've just got to pray harder. We've just got to read the Bible more. We've just got to attend more small groups and Bible studies. And all of those things are so good and so important. And I hope that you do all of them. But it is not something that you can just force yourself to do and then get something good out of it. It's so much better than that. When we are trying to force ourselves to do something, we're not actually listening to God. You know what it's like to try to force yourself to listen to something. For me, when I think about this, I think about when I hear a country music song. I just can't dance to it. And I know that in Iowa, that is like one of the most offensive things you can possibly say. But I just can't dance to it. It's like awkward and strange. And I know that sometimes Christians are the ones in the world who are saying, you better listen to me. And then the world's repulsed by it because we sound like, to me, what country music would sound like or whatever it is for you. Do you not like screamo, metal? I don't know what it might be. But then there are certain sounds that you just cannot help but respond to. Do you recognize this song? You hear that? Do you know like what images come to mind when, when you hear this song? You know what I mean? It kind of feels good. Like you listen 
something happened. Will I don't even know what this song is about, but it sparks a reaction out of us. There's just some sort of happening. It's kind of like when the announcer says, and he broke to the side. He has space. Touchdown, Cyclones! I know some of you are Hawkeye fans. We've never heard things you've heard, like you're invited to the Rose Bowl, okay? So, like, just bear with us for a moment. It's been eight years. But you, you, you hear this song, and it gets a reaction. Keep it coming, keep it coming. You know what's happening. You want to sing along, don't you? You believe in a Cyclones victory, don't you? I see what you're doing. Come on. Touching me. Touching you. Stand up if you know it. Bum, bum, bum. Good times never seem so How fun is that? Wow. Yeah. I'm just so excited. Again, if you're a Hawkeye fan, please notice that I, I made my slides black and gold today, all right? I didn't have to do that. I'm such a good listener. I <laughs> By the way, if you're not from Ames and you're just visiting today, Iowa State plays, those songs after, plays that song after a Cyclones win, so if you're like, what cult did I just walk into? <laughs> It's part of our culture, <laughs> our tradition here. When we listen to God, it, it's, it's not a forceful listen. It's something that our soul cannot help but respond to. And I tell you what, if we are going to respond like that to our favorite team winning a game, how in the world would we not respond like that to Jesus Christ winning the ultimate victory over death for us? How in the world would we not respond in a way that God says, you are my body in this world. What other game would we want to be called into than that? You are the hope for the world because I'm putting my work through you to reach these people. How can we not respond to it? How can we not celebrate? How can we not go nuts? Maybe you're a stoic and that's okay. Maybe you're not the person who's raising your hands in worship, and I'm not saying that you have to be, but a good test to find out if that's genuine. If the Cyclones score a touchdown and you just do this, then that's fine. But if the Cyclones score a touchdown and you do this, what are you doing here? <laughs> How are we not getting excited about this? How are we not actively listening to this? Where did we go wrong? We ought to be so dramatic about the drama that Jesus has completed for us. Man. I remember the first time where it was like a really big deal for me to understand what Jesus did. My grandma was with my wife and I the other night. It was her 87th birthday, and she's the best, and she's awesome. And, and she was telling my wife a story about me and my brother from when we were kids. It was the Saturday between Good Friday and Easter. And my grandpa wrote a story about this, and I went back and I read it, and sure enough, this is what happened. I was talking to John and I said, John, Jesus is alive. And my brother said to me, no, he died last night. He's not coming back till Sunday. <laughs> and as like a four-year-old, I began to weep. No! He's dead! No! Theology was very important to me at a young age. <laughs> and as the story goes that my grandparents tell me, 
I was the most ecstatic person in the room the next day at church. <laughs> Did we lose that? Man, I hope we don't. Let's get back to basics. Look, I want you to know this. At, at Hope, I'm, I'm so grateful to pastor you all. I'm so grateful to be a part of this congregation. This is maintenance work. And if we don't do maintenance work, we're going to have to do a lot more work. But this is maintenance work. And as any other church in the United States, as any other church across the world is not immune to losing our way, to brokenness, to not listening to God, we're the same. And so we're going to do maintenance work on this this morning as we conclude the sermon. And just talk about what does it look like to actively listen to God? What does active listening faith look like? We see it in the passage for this morning. The first thing is the, that what does active listening faith look like? Well, kind of simple, kind of obvious. We, we listen to God. Turn to the person next to you and say, listen to God. We listen to God. Because here's a big question. Who are we listening to? Every single one of us is listening to someone. And I don't just mean about the sound waves that bounce off of our ears. I am talking about the thing that tells us how to live our lives. Every single one of us is controlled by something. Every single one of us is motivated by something. Every single one of us believes that there is a reason why I exist and why I'm here, whether you consciously think that or not. What is it for you? Is it the next promotion? Is it the graduation? Is it the internship? Is it the friendship? Is it the relationship? Is it the family? What is it? We, as Christians, get to listen to God. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it tells us that the Lord is the Lord alone. He's the only God. And this is countercultural these days. Because we live in a world that is oftentimes telling us, and sometimes even Christians are starting to say this. We say, well, I would go ahead and proclaim my faith. I would go ahead and respond to God's call in my life. But, I mean, I don't know. To each their own, right? We live in a world where now people are saying, you know, God is just according to whatever that person believes. But that doesn't make any sense, does it? I want you to know this. We don't get to tell God who God is. God is not a God who is dependent on the many people. But instead, we are the many people who are in infinitely dependent on the one God. I mean, wouldn't you be frustrated about this? If someone came up to you and said, hey, I'd like to write a book about you. If somebody came up to me and said, hey, I'd like to write a book about you, I'd say, wow, I'm totally honored. That's crazy. Never would have expected that. And they said, yeah, I'm going to write it about a guy who's a Green Bay Packers fan. And I would say, how dare you? That's not me. If that's you, again, you get a lot more joy out of your football life than I do as a Bears fan. So just go with me. I would be offended by that. Why? Because it's not true and it's not real. Now, that's a very simple example and kind of silly, but how much more true is that about God? There has to be a certain sense of reality when it comes to this. We don't get to tell God who God is. God is not according to the beliefs of many people. Our beliefs need to be according to God. One of the most baffling things that I hear when people talk about when they're trying to find a church, sometimes people will say, I'm trying to find a church that aligns with my beliefs. How backwards is that? I want you to know this. If you ever come up to me and share that with me, I'm just going to tell you this back. I don't want to go according to your beliefs. I want to go according to God's will. So at this church, I'll tell you this. We are not going to align with people's beliefs just because we want to align with people's beliefs. We are going to align with God's will and do our very best to do that. We'll fall along the way. We'll make mistakes, but we are going to do our very best to align with God's will. And this is so important for us. It's not just because we're rigid and frustrated and stubborn. It is because this is true. The God, 
or what the God my heart really needs is the God that my heart can't create. So many of us are trying to create our own version of God. But do you see how this makes us fall? Do you see how this makes us sad and heartbroken? I'll tell you a really vulnerable story. It's about a year and a half ago, we were coming out of the pandemic, and I was feeling this immense amount of pressure, not from anybody else, but only the pressure that I was putting on myself. And it was a Sunday morning, and I gave a sermon, and I was so frustrated about it. I just felt like I totally blew it up. I thought nobody was going to come back the next week. And it hit me, I was totally putting my identity in my work. God was not my only God. My job was my God. It was my identity. It was everything about me. And I was completely broken. I was so devastated and I was so sad. And it wasn't until a coworker told me, God loves you and thinks you're valuable no matter how bad you stink at your job. <laughs> That's actually what they said. And they said it in a loving way and, and they knew that I knew that they were kind of being a little joking about that. If you believe that you are valueless, if you believe that there is nothing to you, if you believe that you are worthless, what good is a God that you've created to tell you that you're still valuable? We need a God that we didn't create, a God that does reign above it all, to tell us you are valuable, you are loved, you are important, you are significant to me. If I create my God, what good does it do for me to hear what that God has to say to me? I already know what I think of myself. I need a God who can actually do something with the problems that I have about myself. My heart needs a God that I can't create. Well, thank God we have that God. Active listening faith, we listen to God, and then also we trust God. Turn to the person next to you and say, I trust God. I, I hope that you do. If I were to add a word to this, it would say we trust God unconditionally. It says this in Deuteronomy. This is coming from verse 16. The beginning of that is from verse 4 there. It says, you must not test the Lord your God. And specifically in that passage, it refers back to a time when the Israelites, God's people, tested God. And said, well, we'll know that God is good. We'll know that we can trust God if God delivers for us in the way that we want God to deliver for us. And this is something that Christians do all the time. You ever bribe with God? God, I'll go ahead and do this if you do this. Who's your God? Our God is always the thing that comes after the if. God, I will go ahead and do this if you give me this. That means I'll follow you if I have this first. What's my foundation? God wants to be our foundation. There are so many times in our lives where it feels like our life is completely out of control. And we're like, God, you're going to have to put this back in control in order for me to trust you. But God knows things. God sees things that we simply do not know, see, or understand. In the same way that there are things that sheep do not understand and cannot understand that their shepherd understands. There was a shepherd in Wales who told a story about how every single time that they would try to disinfect uh, their sheep every single year, they'd have to put them down um, into this antibacterial like bath, right? And so they dump them under there. And it's kind of like a disturbing process to watch, the shepherd said. It looks violent and it looks wrong, but if they don't do this, that sheep will die. They need this. And the sheep is freaking out and going crazy. And then that shepherd said, that he lost his wife. A very difficult situation. And he said, I can actually kind of relate with that sheep. I cannot comprehend what's happening in my life right now. And I'm screaming at God. What have you done to me? What's happening? And I can tell you that there have been many times in my life when I feel like this. We don't trust God because God gives us what we want. 
We trust God because God is God. And there is a significant difference between a shepherd and a sheep. The sheep, even if God tried to tell, even if the shepherd tried to tell the sheep what's happening, the sheep could not understand it. But there's an even bigger difference between God and us and the shepherd and the sheep. Even if God was saying everything to us, we just wouldn't understand it. It's not an insult to us, it's just reality. My wife and I, we have a dog. Every single time I bathe him, he looks like this, and he looks at my wife and he says, what is he doing to me? (laughs) And I suppose it gives me sympathy for the sheep. You know? What it feels like to freak out. And sometimes we just need these reminders, whether they're silly or they're serious, to know that even if I don't understand what's happening in my life, and even if I don't feel like God's giving me what, God, what I want God to give me, I can still believe that God is worth trusting. Logically speaking, just because God is God. Because God is almighty. And God is smarter than me. God sees more than I do. But here's the absolute beautiful thing. We don't just trust God just because God is God. Even though God would have the right to say that is enough. We get to trust God because we get to hear God's story. And that's the last part about active listening faith. We listen to God, we trust God, and we tell God's story. So what is God's story? In that reading for today in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it tells us you are going to tell this story. Your children will ask you, what is the meaning of these laws, decrees, and regulations that the Lord our God has commanded us to obey? What's the purpose of all of it? Why do we really listen to God? And maybe you could just tell that child, well, we listen to God because God's smarter than us. We listen to God because God's brain is bigger than ours. We listen to God because God sees things that we don't see. And I get it. There's the logical answer to that. But that's not going to satisfy the heart of a child. And if you're really honest with yourself, it's probably not going to satisfy you either. I am a person that struggles with doubt. And I know that I'm not alone because I have so many people who have conversations with me about the doubt that they struggle with. Doubt is a real thing for Christians. It's a real thing that we wrestle with. It's a real thing that we deal with. And oftentimes the doubt that we have is not intellectual, it is personal. So there could be these logical reasons for here's why you trust God, because God's bigger than you. Okay, but what's the personal reason for it? Your children will ask, why Do we listen to God? In verse 24, it says, well, remember, you can tell them this. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with his strong hand. What is that pointing back to? The second book of the Bible is called Exodus. And Exodus tells the story of God saving his people from Egypt. They lived for hundreds of years in slavery and oppression. And God came in and God rescued them. God saved them. The way that God rescued them and God saved them is he put 10 plagues over Israel or over Egypt, the people that were holding them captive. 10 plagues and finally Egypt said, go, get out. But as these plagues were happening over Egypt, God's people who were living in and under Egypt were safe and they were protected. And they were protected because they had the blood of a sacrificial lamb over their doorposts. And so these plagues would pass over them. It's where we get the famous holiday, the Passover. And so the parents, the mothers, and the fathers would be able to tell their children, we can trust God because you remember the story of God. 
and the story of God's love for God's people. That God would save us. He wouldn't let us be captive. That he would redeem us to join us in his redeeming work for this world. But then that begs another question. And the question that it begs is, okay, so what was so special about the lamb? And if the adults are being honest about it, if the child asks me, what's so special about the lamb? I might just say, I don't really know. But I guess it did something. Well, many, many, many years later, there was a man named John the Baptist. And when he saw Jesus, he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There he is. We now know that the blood of the Lamb that was painted on the doorposts of the people's homes, it was just a sign, it was just a symbol that pointed to the coming Messiah, the coming Redeemer, the coming Savior, the coming Deliverer. The one that we're called to listen to and to follow, the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. He's come. He heard your cry. God, you've got to hear me right now. You need to listen. You've got to know what I'm going through. This hurts. It's painful. I don't know how I'm going to get through. God, you have to listen to me. And that very God actively listened as if he were obeying his people, claiming them as his own, enters this world. And I'll leave you with this. We've got that thesis statement for the Bible that is our reason for hope, John chapter 3, verse 16. That God would send his son into the world that whoever believes in him would not die but have eternal life. And that's the hope that we get to proclaim to people. But have you ever read the verse after it? So many people don't know what John chapter 3, verse 17 says. It's this good news. It is this story that we get to tell people. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. That's the story that we get to tell this world. That's the story that we're listening to. That's the God, the author of the story whom we trust. What are we gonna do? How are we gonna respond to this? What does active listening look like with God? to know that God actually heard our cries, that God actually listened. It didn't just bounce off of his eardrums, but instead he actually showed up into this world as a human being. He lived, he died, he rose from the dead, he reigns above the entire universe, and he is still fighting for us. He is still living for us. He is still winning for us. He is still loving us. He is still redeeming us. And he will not stop until we get into eternity with the fullness of his glory. Nothing will stop that. Nothing will stop our God. Oh my goodness, if the world knew that Jesus didn't come to judge, but to save, how are they gonna hear it? How are they gonna know it? Church, it's our job. We are the body of Christ. We are to proclaim the hope of the world. And as we proclaim, we are listening to the word of our God. The word of our God who became flesh, showed up in human form to reveal to us that he's always been listening. He's always responding. I hear it all the time. When something goes our way, we say, ah, that was an answered prayer. Hear me. There is no such thing as an unanswered prayer. 
it does not mean that the prayers always go our way or that the answers are always what we want. God hears every single thing that you've prayed. There's not an utter that's come from your mouth or your soul that hasn't been the most important thing in the world to him. And if you need evidence, just look at the cross. On the cross, Jesus is crying out to his father, hear me, listen to me, answer me. Jesus himself entered silence. He answered a place of unresponsive prayer. Because it's the place none of us ever wanted to go, ever could go, and now we never will go. Because he didn't stay there. He came out like a roaring lion, alive, resurrected. And now we get to spend this life and the rest of eternity listening to that roar, shouting our praise. Bum, bum, bum. Oh man, these good times never seem so good. It's better than you dream. It's better than you knew it was possible. The only way you'll hear it is if you hear it from God. He's the only one who can make these promises because he's the only one who can deliver. Let's listen to him. Amen. Would you stand up and sing?